Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, welcome to episode 44 of Under Further Review with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And that heavy breathing you hear in the background is Rufio. <laughs> um, he's, he's standing right in front of the recorder. Come here. Anyway, uh, great to be back with you. We know it's been a while. Um, and so this, we're recording it on uh, NBA All-Star Weekend. And uh, so it seems fitting that we start with a story about... I think NBA All-Star Blake Griffin, who's being sued by the mother of his two children, uh, one by the name of Bryn Cameron, who is might be known to some of you as the mother of Matt Leinart's child. Or the sister of Jordan Cameron, a NFL player. Um, and she has filed a lawsuit against Blake Griffin for uh, a palimony suit, uh, asserting that his relationship with Kendall Jenner basically caused the breakdown of his family. Um, also, she's uh, giving out a lot of information about yes. conflict within the Clippers organization. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy because she is seeking um, money to support the two children that Blake is the father of, um, a girl named Finley, and I can't remember what the older Ford, Ford, yeah, the older boy's name. Um, they were... <laughs> They were going to be married in July of 2017 on St. Bart's, and apparently they uh, things blew up over Blake asking her to sign a prenuptial agreement. Yeah. Uh, she alleges in her suit that she gave up her life and her career to stay at home and raise their children, and essentially like her job was to be um, a wife and a mother. And, uh, and as of January 2018, when she filed suit, she had nothing and was living um, with her brother and she was being supported by her brother because basically in August of 2017, a month after the scheduled wedding, Blake Griffin was going out with Kendall Jenner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not a great look, but also included in her uh, lawsuit was a lot of like you know, locker room dish about the Clippers and how Blake had problems with Chris Paul and how Blake wasn't alpha because Chris Paul was too alpha. It's just, it was a lot of dirty laundry being aired. Um, yeah. And I, she also, what did she, she was talking about the trade to Detroit too, which now I'm trying to, my phone is freezing. So I'm trying to read what the, what she said about that whole situation. Oh, I'm sorry. She compared it to um, him receiving karmic justice by learning of his trade on social media the same way he ungraciously allowed her to discover uh, her quote-unquote trade for Kendall Jenner. <laughs> like, Ouch. I mean, it's a little dramatic. I can't imagine as an attorney writing that down somewhere. Um, but whatever. It's, <laughs> I don't represent Bryn Cameron. Um, I guess, I mean, is the allegation that he hasn't been paying child support, like, what the hell? That's what I assume, right? Because isn't that what you're, I mean, it's, so if she's seeking essentially alimony payments mm -hmm. because she considered herself like a common law wife. Um, Which is not a concept that exists under the law anymore, <laughs> at least in California, but sure, go ahead. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I would imagine that she would wants child support because she's essentially saying that um, she is broke and she's had to basically be supported by her family, not Blake Griffin. Um, so, and if that's the case, that's pretty shitty if Blake Griffin, like, yeah, do what you... Do your kids. Yeah, exactly. Do what you will to, you know, your ex-girlfriend or your ex-fiance or whatever, but you have two kids that you're responsible for. And you just signed, like, a Supermax contract. So, dude, come on. Yeah, apparently this is all taking a real toll on his relationship with Kendall Jenner, being traded and then being publicly shamed by yes. the mother of his kids. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with that relationship. but um, Apparently it's suffering, according to the Daily Mail. <laughs> yeah, Us Weekly has said the same thing. Um, Blake knew the suit was going to be filed, but he didn't know the exact day. He tried to warn Kendall, but, you know, it's just a... Real tough time for, for Blake Griffin, um, but it does seem pretty shady of him. I also, I gotta say, like, how do you think this is gonna go? Yeah, He's a multi-million multi dollar basketball player. Mm -hmm. He has two small children. Like, it's one thing to say, I don't want, like, you're not gonna sign a prenup, I don't wanna marry you. I mean, mm -hmm. it, 
that seems to me like you maybe should have talked to her about this, you know, well before the wedding had been planned, but mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but uh, that's that's one one thing to then say I'm not going to contribute any money towards the care and upkeep of our two children seems deeply troubling. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, if I were him, like, when you get ahead of yeah, the, the... pay her and avoid this public scandal. Or at least release a statement that says that even if I have my disagreements with Bryn, you know, our children is first and foremost, and I am, you know, and I am obviously supporting my children, and, mm-hmm. you know, we can go to court to determine whether or not that's a sufficient amount. Like, something. Like, when you say something, and I don't yeah. think he said anything. Um... He did have just a very, according to Bryn Cameron, a very embarrassing, shameful weekend out in the Hamptons with Kendall Jenner. That's how she found out that they were dating. He had told her that he would be in Oklahoma that weekend, a month after they were supposed to get married. He's handling this all wrong. Yeah, that's what I sort of feel like. I mean, he could could be getting ahead of this, or at least not necessarily going on the defensive, but at least making a statement saying that... I mean, because just this whole thing makes him look terrible. Um, it does. I I wonder. I don't know. I mean, he's in a couple new movies. He seems to have a lot going on. I just I don't know who his advisors are oh. that haven't been like telling him. You know, you should not just kind of let this whole situation ride, especially if he knew the lawsuit was coming. Yeah. Exactly. Because um, if he knew that it was coming, he could have done something about it. I'm sure he was given a demand letter at some point, and instead of just saying, "Okay, just pay her," because my contract with that I signed with the Clippers this summer is worth 173 million dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would think—I mean, this sounds terrible—but if she genuinely is super broke. You would think he could have leveraged that, like, it's going to cost you a lot of money to fight me in court. Like, mm-hmm. let's make a, you know, here's a settlement offer yeah. to, for you to keep your mouth shut and to keep this whole thing quiet, and we'll both get what we want. But that didn't happen, so... No, they were together on and off for eight years. It's a long That's time. It's a long time. And her... Now, I'm only saying this not because her other child is also fathered by a famous athlete, not because I'm trying to shame her... Because whatever, Bryn Cameron was can do what she wants to do. But I think her kid with Matt Liner was born in like 2007, right? That was when he got drafted. Yes. So the story broke around his draft year. Yeah. So base, so essentially, I think one of the things I read that they that she and Matt Liner broke up shortly after he left school. Right. So, um, and and 2007 was like 11 years ago. So plenty of time to. This is a judgy comment, but like. Girl, you gave up your basketball career for one man, and now you threw away your other career for another dude. Have you learned nothing? (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, um, well, good luck to Bryn Cameron. It does seem pretty screwed up, regardless of um, his side of the story, if what she is saying is accurate. And I would, I mean, I'm sure the truth lies somewhere in between what Blake and Bryn are saying, Mm -hmm. but... Um, it certainly sounds like he's for sure not paying any support for these children. Um, and if that's true, then good luck to her. I hope she takes into the cleaners because that's, that ain't right, Blake. Um, <laughs> now that our, now that we've started our podcast today, I realized there's an actual theme to our podcast, which is like broken contracts and promises. <gasps> yes. So our next story is, um, about the... A postponed and or now canceled football game between Arkansas State and Miami that was supposed to be supposed to have been played in Arkansas, right in Jonesboro. Yes. Um, earlier in the college football season, and it was canceled due to Hurricane Irma. I think it was Irma because they probably couldn't get. Well, Harvey hit the hit Texas in that the Midwest, but Florida they might not have been able to get out of Miami because of Hurricane Irma, right? Yes. So. I guess the story is that in 2014 or thereabouts, Arkansas State and Miami signed a contract for the teams to play each other in the coming years. And the first game of the contract was played, I think, in 2014. And this game that was supposed to have taken place in September would have been their second game or something. Mm -hmm. And due to Hurricane Irma, the Miami players never really left Miami and a whole bunch of athletics 
were canceled over that weekend. And since that time, it looks like essentially Arkansas and Miami have been trying to reschedule this game. And it's all come to naught that they can't they can't agree on a date for the, uh, you know, to replay this this game. And Arkansas State is suing Miami for Six hundred and fifty or eight hundred and fifty. Six hundred and fifty. Six hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is the money they lost from not um, playing that game. So it's gate revenue, probably whatever like TV money from that game, and whatever else you can. Um, yes, and they are seeking, in addition to that, compensatory damages, liquidated damages for the breach of contract, and attorneys' fees and costs. Um, saying that there is a provision in the contract that says a failure for uh, of a party to participate in the game will constitute a material breach of the agreement that will cause the other party significant disruption and damages. I think part of the way they're trying to um, calculate the damages or like justification for the damages is that like there's no real way to put a dollar value on the loss of that game. Mm -hmm. um, and so... That's why it's a little, I think, up in the air and maybe squishier for how they're reaching their number and why they're seeking so many damages beyond just like the, as you said, the lost revenue and potential mm -hmm. lost gate revenue. So normally uh, in most contracts of this kind, there are clauses that like include that parties can't breach the contract if there is some sort of like act of God or... I believe they are called force, force majeure. Yes. Wonderful um, Swedish movie of the same name. <laughs> that you should check out. Is that the one about the family going skiing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, there were no spoilers in that. That's, no. That's an early premise that is established. Might make you really reevaluate your life if you watch it. But anyway. So there's, so Miami's trying to argue that the hurricane, you know, with like 350 mile per hour winds or something, was definitely one of those acts of gods and you can't breach a contract for failing to perform because you were prevented from performing it. But it sounds like now the argument is mm -hmm. not so much that they um, that the failure to play the well, it's a little weird, right? Because they're basing the the lawsuit on the failure to play the game, yes. which you would think would be overcome by the force majeure clause. But they're also making the argument that it's in part because Miami is dragging its feet on rescheduling. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess. I suppose is the theory that, like, this all could have gone away if you'd rescheduled because you're refusing to reschedule. We're now going to sue you for not playing the game. Yeah, so there's been a series of letters that have gone back and forth between the council's offices. I love letter-writing <laughs> campaigns with other lawyers. <laughs> so, yes, there's, there's lots of letters that are available online to review between the lawyers at Arkansas State and Miami. But there are, uh, I believe... The ones that I read anyways, like they were talking about rescheduling to like 2026 mm -hmm. or like 2020 and um, and no, and, and, and Miami has not coughed up a date for the game. Right. Miami is saying they can't do, so I guess Arkansas State looked at uh, the available dates in Miami's calendar and said we could do, there, you have available weekends in 2020, to which Miami responded, those available weekends for us, it has to be a home game. This would have been a game at Arkansas State. So, no, we could reschedule it sometime between 2024 and 2028, <laughs> which Arkansas State has rejected. Um, and then Arkansas State, which I found kind of interesting, Arkansas State has argued in the lawsuit that there were a bunch of teams in Florida and Georgia that actually, actually played. played that weekend, mm -hmm. um, including Florida International University playing its scheduled home game against Alcorn State in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, yes. That doesn't that that sentence structure is weird because I think it's Alcorn State that's in Birmingham, Alabama, not Florida International. So eh. anyway, um, Georgia Southern played its scheduled home game against the University of Alabama, or sorry, the University of New Hampshire in Birmingham, Alabama. Huh. Okay. Maybe is this one of those things where they like declare a particular stadium like the home stadium potentially, maybe? and then Florida Atlantic played its away game against the University of Wisconsin with a delayed return back to Florida 
Three additional teams canceled their scheduled games but rescheduled them for the same season. Florida State played its rescheduled game against the University of Louisiana Monroe on December 2nd, 2017. The University of South Florida played a rescheduled game against UConn on um, November 4th, 2017. And the University of Central Florida played its rescheduled game against the University of Memphis on September 30th, 2017. The seventh team... The University of Florida canceled its game against the University of Northern Colorado, and because no game could be, or because the game could not be rescheduled due to conflicting schedules, Northern Colorado received a buyout for the game. Um, uh, upon belief, UM is the UM being University of Miami is the only FBS school to fail to play its scheduled game in accordance with its contract, timely reschedule its canceled game, or pay the buyout or liquidated damages under the contract. Additionally, UM and Florida State immediately rescheduled their September 16, 2017 game uh, for October 7th, 2017. Yeah, so, I mean, part of it is that the Arkansas State program, I'm sure, is not as famous as the University of Miami's program. And they want the money from the game that they would have played with them. I mean, it's it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting... To me, that Miami won't just pay them the buyout amount. Yeah. If there's an if there's an ability to have like dealt with this, mm-hmm. um, and like just gotten it over quickly with quickly and reasonably. And, yes. Yeah. If they don't want to play them, like just pay them their money and mm-hmm. they'll go away. Um, so it'd be interesting. I, I realize they've just filed the lawsuit. Miami hasn't had an opportunity to file any response yet. But it'd be interesting to see what Miami's thought is on this or what their defense is going to be because it seems like. At some point, oh, who knows? Maybe Arkansas State didn't didn't suggest let's just stop trying to reschedule this and give us our buyout payment. Um, Possibly. I mean, I didn't read all those letters thoroughly because no. you know, I just prepped for this <laughs> right before we started. So maybe we'll have an update for yeah. what's in those letters. Yay, research! <laughs> yeah. It's been a busy week for both of yeah. us. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this works out because it does seem as though a lot of, particularly I think in college football, I mean, the start of every season, you always see these like big teams playing these tiny, tiny teams, teams, presumably for the tiny teams to get some publicity and the big team will just have someone they can, excuse me, theoretically beat up on, um, theoretically actually beat up on. Um, so (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting if this has any kind of, like, ripple effect for other contracts, but it seems like Miami is the only team that's sort of acted in not not the most of, not the goodest faith, whatever the... <laughs> not the best faith, yeah. yes. Um, so. so our third sort of contractual issue is um, a really short thing. I haven't even read the complaint in this, but um, Dade County, where Miami is... Um, the house, the house? No, what's the county seat? The maybe. county seat. Thank you. That's what yes. we call it in California yeah. and Massachusetts. So, <laughs> um, they are suing the uh, Miami Marlins, a former owner Jeffrey Loria, and the new ownership group that's led by Derek Jeter. Um, my or Dade County alleges that a 2009 agreement between the county and the Marlins. Um, essentially allows for when the Marlins were sold that they'd get a share of the money from the sale because the stadium in which they play is funded by taxpayer money. Uh, Jeffrey Loria bought the Marlins for $158 million in 2002, and he sold it last year to the group led by Derek Jeter for over $1.2 billion. And so Dade County wants its money. Jeffrey Loria is saying that he didn't make any money from the deal, which... I'm really not that great at math, but um, it must be some like pretzel-like bendies that he's doing to try to claim that he didn't make any deal from that math. Um, so he's saying that he doesn't owe the county anything, and Derek Jeter's group is saying, well, we're, we were not signatories to that 2009 mm-hmm. contract. We don't owe you guys anything. Um, it's a 5% equity payment, um, which is the amount that is at issue. Um, so that's... So that's about what, so it's just been filed. Um, and I will tell you when you were talking, suggesting this for today's podcast, for some reason in my head, I convinced myself that Jeffrey Loria and Jeffrey Lurie, who is the owner (laughs) of the Philadelphia Eagles are the same person. I've actually had this problem on multiple occasions. I was like, God, people are saying great things about this guy in Philadelphia, but he's really an asshole. (laughs) 
Not the same person. He's an asshole in Florida. <laughs> yeah, the Florida Jeffrey Loria, not the same last name, is terrible. Um, I mean, he has a history, uh, or he had a history yeah. as the Marlins owner of being kind of a nightmare to deal with. Apparently, yes. the city of Miami is also thinking of suing him. Um, unclear what that's about exactly, if it's somehow tied into the stadium deal or um, the way that the, whether they had a loan out to him. Um but it sounds like he, in his, in the lawsuit, they, they're arguing that Loria has badly overstated what the value of the team was at some point in, the, in this whole transaction and then overstated how much cash he had contributed to the organization, how much debt he had taken mm-hmm. out and kind of supported um, in order to pay for the organization. But I do feel like this, among so many others, is a reason that uh, the public should not be funding stadiums. Stadiums. Mm -hmm. It never, no matter best of intentions, it never seems to work out well for the public um, when you have these taxpayer-funded stadiums. And I will say, anyone who listens knows I'm a Patriots fan. (laughs) Um, I, I know Bob Kraft tried to get a bunch of money. I think they ended up donating land when they built Gillette Stadium, like the town of Foxborough. But, uh, again, that seems like a public-private partnership that has worked out well mm-hmm. and doesn't leave the public entity holding the bag for a shitload of money while the organization gets to take all the profits. So a bad be example. more like Bob Kraft. <laughs> a bad example, and not being like Bob Kraft in that particular regard... <laughs> Um, is the Milwaukee Bucks who are building a new stadium for the Milwaukee Bucks and the cost of building that stadium like magically came out of the University of Wisconsin budget. It's insane. Right. It's really it's, sad. Um, it's all the cuts that they can do to uh, formally unionize uh, employee salaries that they can pay. For, yeah. Wisconsin's I mean, a mess. That, <laughs> goddamn Scott Walker. But anyway, this is not a political podcast, so I'll stop now. <laughs> um, just to uh, let everyone know, the uh, the Marlin story came to us via our former colleague, Eric Shiners. Oh, was, thank you. Thank you, listener Eric. Um, I was going to say, it's interesting. So, I mean, we, as again, as listeners know, we live in the Bay Area, and there was um, there's been a lot of controversy I guess maybe less so controversy than talk in the city of Oakland um, because at one point Oakland mm-hmm. had three professional sports teams and um, within I think the next two years they will only have one, um, which is sad. And, and even the A's are like... Yeah, the A's are trying to flee to San Jose, which seems like a terrible idea. But um, anyway, part of... Before the Raiders dis- formally decided to move to Las Vegas where I think they're getting like a billion dollars from the city, which seems... Like a terrible decision by Las Vegas, but whatever. Um, City of Oakland was trying to figure out a structure that uh, they could give some kind of benefit to the Raiders without having to go into a ton of debt in Mm -hmm. order to do it. And I believe the council passed um, or was agreeable to giving them like $150 million worth of land and then contributing $150 million in like infrastructure costs. Um, and that still wasn't good enough for the Raiders. They wanted a fully funded yeah. stadium. Now, the Alum- the Coliseum is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, they've had raw sewage explode in the locker rooms. Not a great place to be. Um, so, in fairness to the Raiders and the A's, like, they need a new stadium. Mm-hmm. But getting the city of Oakland to pay for it doesn't seem like the right thing to do yeah so. there are so many more things that need to be like paid for in the city of oakland yeah like head start yeah <laughs> so, anyway um so that's that's our personal story about uh, uh municipally funded stadiums and sorry i just realized i was watching now that i watched the local news because i got rid of my cable um there was a story about the warriors who were built golden state warriors are building a new stadium in san francisco yep and there's a local ordinance in san francisco that says you're supposed to try and use 50 percent like small businesses on oh, major construction mm-hmm. contracts like that and the warriors are getting called out for not making sufficient efforts to oh. um, bring in small businesses under that under that ordinance so yeah there are several um 
ordinances like that, at least in California that I know of, that you can, you either, if you're going to be a contractor for them, that you have to have like a certain percentage of your contractor be representative of like either small businesses or diverse businesses or something like that, you know. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, is the San is the Warriors' new stadium publicly financed? I want to say no. I don't think it is. Yeah, because I don't remember seeing like bond measures or anything to pay for it. And I know they've broken ground, so yeah, I don't think so. Um, even still, the ordinances about like major construction projects would still apply. Yeah, no, they would apply. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, it's as far as I'm aware, it is not publicly funded. This is how much research we're doing these days. But, well, what's interesting is that there are, the man who was being interviewed, um, he's like an HVAC contractor, and um, he somehow got booted from the, from, the, from the project because he was, like, too expensive, and now they're not using, I think they're using, like, 18% small businesses or something. Oh, that's well um, below 50. Yeah, it's very much so below 50. Um, but his complaint was, like, setting aside the fact that he felt like the rules that had been established weren't being followed, he also felt irritated that the um, Warriors have gotten a lot of good press for using small businesses, except mm. that they're not. So. Oh. Um, that's not really a legal issue, just an interesting <laughs> local sports problem. Um, so moving on to our fourth story of broken contracts and broken hearts. Burke, take it away. Oh wait, which one am I talking I about I think now? you're talking about Josh McDaniels. Oh yes, Josh McDaniels, uh, offensive coordinator for the uh, Patriots, thought to be the next head coach of the Indianapolis Colts until he backed out of that agreement at the last minute after they had hired a couple of assistants with the understanding that Josh McDaniel would be coming to the Colts as their head coach. Um, so it's unclear why he backed out of what sounds like a verbal deal with the Colts. Um, there was no signed contract. The Colts were very public about, you know, being close to signing McDaniel. Their public statements actually indicated that they had a deal with him. Mm -hmm. um, and McDaniel's camp was suspiciously quiet about all of that and then, you know, came out and said he's not going to the Colts. So now the question is, do the Colts, even though there wasn't a, a signed contract, do the Colts have any grounds upon which to sue Josh McDaniel? Um, and Michael McCann wrote a really lengthy and interesting article on Sports Illustrated talking through sportsillustrated.com talking through the potential um, routes for a lawsuit that um, Indianapolis could uh, go down. But his advice was don't sue, you will look petty and ridiculous and probably lose. So, yeah. the I guess the two main well, the main theory is um, what's called detrimental reliance, and basically that based on whatever verbal promises Josh McDaniel may have made to the Colts. They, you know, stopped looking for other head coaches. They engaged um, and signed contracts with assistant coaches who maybe they wouldn't have if they had known Josh McDaniel wasn't going to be their head coach. Mm -hmm. They're now in a tough position where they've got these assistants under contract. Maybe another head coach doesn't want to work with these guys. So now what the hell do they do? Um, so that seems to be the route with the most potential for a successful lawsuit, but still yeah. probably not successful. Yeah. The Colts have said that they were going to honor the contracts of the assistants, and um, so I think that's a pretty stand-up thing to do. Although yeah. I'm sure they would have let the assistants go if the assistants like wanted, wanted to. to. Yeah. Um, but just in case you don't follow Andrew Luck on Twitter, you really should, because he's a hilarious um, follow. He is he portrays himself as basically a captain during Civil War um, times. Is he on the Union side? I'm hoping that he is, <laughs> but he's like, essentially his tweets are letters to his mother. So on February 6th, he wrote, Dearest Mother, the unit has been informed we officially have a new general, Josh McDaniels. He has had tremendous success at one point and struggled at another, but I have confidence the men are ready to be victorious once more. Andrew. And then on, like later that day, he writes again to his mother, Dearest Mother, I write with the most distressful news. The men have been hoodwinked. The deserter McDaniels is on the lam, likely headed towards New England. My best scouts report. Was this a ploy to merely spy? We shall never know. Irritating. Andrew. He spelled lamb wrong. I know, he did. <laughs> um, and then he announced um, the fact that they were going to have uh, Frank, Wright as their, Frank Reich as their new general. But um, So, I mean, it was... 
you know, it was well known throughout uh, the NFL that Josh McDaniels was going to land there. Even so, even to the extent where I think the Colts were like starting like to hang up banners for Josh McDaniels and to have their franchise quarterback, you know, tweet out that news, even if it wasn't really news, but just to make it sort of like an official kind of announcement sort of thing is kind of embarrassing. Yeah, it's real awkward. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. So I'm sure that the Colts will uh, want to beat up on the Patriots next season. I mean, they always do. Yeah. I mean, rarely I <laughs> have they, particularly since Peyton Manning left. Um, but yeah. It's not, I mean, it's not a good look for McDaniels. Um, and he hasn't really come out to say why he decided to stay either. No, and as far as I can tell, there hasn't been an allegation that the Patriots did anything wrong, which I know is hard for some people to believe. <laughs> but, you know, they had, he was still their employee. They had every right to be talking to him until oh, there was yeah. a contract that was signed. And so, like, maybe they offered him more money. Maybe, you know, Belichick could be his it sounds like Belichick is not going to retire there have been some speculation that both he and Brady would quit after this year after this year I mean retire not quit quit Mm -hmm. um but and I mean maybe that's it too that you know Belichick said I'm going to be here for one more year or two more years and then you'll get to take over yeah no I mean I I'm assuming that that's that was the enticement like you will be the next head coach and I will leave in like one to two years and I mean I don't fault the Patriots at all one of the few times that I don't for I mean they can they could throw everything at them that they had, right? I mean, there was no yeah. contract that was signed, and I think that was the point of Mr. McCann's articles, that there was no signed contract. It was a verbal agreement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Mike Lombardi on, like, GM Street on the Ringer Podcast Network, he had some really strong words for Josh McDaniels because... They used to work together, right? Yeah, they used to work together, and he was really disappointed. And essentially, it's like, your word is your bond, and if you're not as good as your word, then, you know, he basically said that... He, Josh McDaniels is not going to get another shot outside of the New England Patriots organization. So he's he's basically, like, made his bed there. Well, right, because he did coach. He was the head coach for Denver, Denver. for, what, a year or two? and At least two, I think. He shit the bed there. <laughs> it was terrible. So, yeah, the idea that he had a head coaching gig was awful, went back and has been, you know, great with a, you know, once-in-a-lifetime quarterback and some really remarkable tight ends and other mm-hmm. receivers. Um, but then he did did the Colts dirty like this. I think yeah. I think Lombardi's right. The, uh, this is his last shot. Like yeah. He's not going to get another chance to go work it outside of the New England organization unless Belichick were to leave and go somewhere else and bring him along. Yeah, exactly. Um, so those are basically our broken contracts and broken hearts. Yeah, segment. it's been a tough week for people <laughs> and their feelings. Um, we don't have anything big in our three-minute warning. We did want to talk about the Winter Olympics because they're on. Yes, um, and they've been... I haven't been watching them as much as I usually do. Again, possibly because I don't have cable TV anymore. And uh, it's just a little... My receiver's not so great, but... Um, Ice skating has been super fun, so that's been great. I think a little bit for me, and um, it's mostly because of the time difference. Mm. So that most of the things either happen like as I'm asleep, so I wake up to the news, or I guess there's a little bit like afternoon in Pyeongchang is like prime time here, but it's just the afternoon, so... Um, I know I can't tell if NBC is being truthful when it says that things are on live, like nighttime here, because I'll watch stuff, you know, after dinner when I'm just kind of sitting around and it's like 9, 30, 10 o'clock here, but they have a little live mm-hmm. uh, watermark on the on the TV, and I'm not sure if that's true. It must be. They can't lie to us about things like that, right? <laughs> no, they shouldn't be. Right? Doing. Media can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so but I think when, because it's afternoon there, it's... Uh, it's usually the heats of things as opposed to like the final events of things. So sure. that's why I kind of think that like and that's have what... heats and ice skating. So yeah, that would be yeah. Sure. So that's why like Michaela Schifrin. Sorry, spoiler yeah. alert for people. So, like the, when she won, it was like well into it was late night here, or like when she came in fourth, it was late night here. Got it. That but anyways, sense. that's and plus 
I don't know. Like, that's not really how I consume things anymore. Like, sitting down to watch TV for a, a live event yeah. because, well, you can just follow it on Twitter or you can, like, read about it on the internet or, like, all these other ways to consume it. And, um, but we did have very strong thoughts about things that were going on at the Olympics. We did. Um, first of all, Adam Rippon is a national hero. <laughs> His eyebrows are just, they're he so majestic. Dressed like a glorious peacock. <laughs> Um, for his long program, and he was wonderful. And his, um, like, in his uh, team skate, right? The was blue? it the same one? Because he skated the long program in the team skate, and I feel like oh. some of the skaters did the same, because it was also, he was skating to Coldplay. I don't know why that's a thing this year, because <laughs> there are a lot of people skating to Coldplay. That's very true. The ship sibs are going to skate to Coldplay. Right. They're, I think they're skating tonight. Ooh, that's exciting. Tonight being Sunday, uh, what is today? February 18th, so... Um, good luck to the ship sibs. <laughs> They're definitely not going to beat the Canadians. But anyway, speaking of Americans and Canadians, um, the U.S. women's hockey team played the Canadian team earlier this week. Um, it was a tough match. Canadians cheated. Whatever. <laughs> um, the U.S. Brought, got real close at the end. Um, the last, basically the last play ended up with both teams all piled up in the uh, the goal area. I say that because the goal had actually been knocked off its moorings and was like floating around <laughs> behind them. Um, there was a, it looked like the U.S. might have scored a last minute goal to tie the game. 2-2 would have sent it into overtime. Determined that that was not the case. They didn't score. Whatever. Um, She's got the best look on her face. <laughs> but then the two teams had to line up to shake hands because apparently that's what you have to do at the Olympics. To which, and it turns out that I'm a much worse sport than Genevieve is because I was like, this is stupid. Why do these people have to shake hands? Like, they were just legitimately all, as much fighting. So in women's hockey, they're not allowed to fight because, you know, ladies don't act like Girls. that. <laughs> um, so it wasn't an actual fight, to be clear. But, like, they were, you know, it was kind of scrum. They were wrestling on the ground. Um, and now they just have to pretend like that's all. That didn't happen and shake hands. And I think it's dumb and phony and you shouldn't have to participate in these things, particularly in the middle of the tournament. I get it. Once everything's over, like be a, be a good sport, shake hands. Um, but I had a very strong feeling about that. <laughs> Genevieve, um, I'll let Genevieve speak for herself. Well, <laughs> not that I have a strong feeling that they should shake hands, but I sort of feel like, especially for the Olympics, which up until recently, or is all about like amateur sports or amateur athletes doing these, you know, engaging in sport. And really the idea that it's about, this is a way for the world to come together and participate in these sports. And you kind of don't have, like, are you basically, there, there aren't that many people who go through what you go through to like participate in the Olympics, right? You give up your life to become a biathlete or to do skeleton or whatever and you train and train and train for literally a day every four yeah. years you get a day to shine and not that hockey i mean obviously the women's american hockey team is amazing and it's awesome and it does play other tournaments but you know you're kind of in the same boat as all these other people and it's a shared experience so even if you are engaged in a wrestling match on ice then afterwards you're like there are not that many other people in this world that like go through what i go through except for you guys on the other side of you know my you're my adversary but we have these shared experiences plus um you know if the u.s women and the canadian women don't advance onto the other rounds they might not get a chance to to do the handshake thing which i don't think is actually the case but they're leaps and bounds better than everybody yes, else no, I sure. and in fairness i i think one of my comments to jen was like they hate each other why do they have to do this but then I realized that the former captain of the U.S. women's team, Julie Chen, is now married to the former captain of the Canadian women's team, Carolyn Ouellette, and they just had a baby who's very cute. And So they um, don't actually hate each other. I guess they don't really not hate each other. Each, not every person hates each other. Right. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think what I've learned, having watched the men's ice skating final, where the winner, exactly. Yuzuru... Han, Han Hansu, I think. Han, yeah. <laughs> That's probably just racist. Sorry. I think that's his name, though. He um, called the two guys who won silver and bronze up to stand on the top podium with him. And so I think I just put more value on being like a good winner as opposed to not being a sore loser, <laughs> which I'm not sure what that says about me. I should probably pay a therapist to talk me through that. But um, anyway... The U.S., it's expected that the U.S. women and Canadian women will play for the, the gold medal. In the finals. I guess coming up this week, maybe? 
Um, so yeah, it'll be exciting to see. I like women's hockey. They're it's a lot of fun. I also will say that I think it's totally bullshit that the Canadian women got in trouble for drinking beer on the ice when they won the gold medal. I think in Vancouver, people were horrified by the unladylike behavior. <laughs> oh please. Um, if there has been a Russian athlete who's been kicked out for doping. A curler. A curler. <laughs> someone, I mean, here's the thing, and I don't mean any disrespect by this, but, like, there's a pregnant woman who's curling. And a 55-year-old uh, contestant is in the yeah. curling. Yeah. And so, like, you certainly have to have skill and be fit, but it also seems like... <laughs> It's not the most taxing sport in terms of... Meeting like, performance. Right. And, like, I mean, just... Enhancement, yes. Yeah, I, I, I have a lot of questions as to why this person needed... Because you don't want to throw the stone super hard. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. That's why you have the, the sweepers. Because they're melting the ice in front of the stone to make it go a particular way. So, yeah, I don't know why why was the person doping. Unless it's like a Jose Theodore situation. He was a goaltender for the Montreal Canadiens, Colorado Avalanche, and the Canadian national men's hockey team who got caught with um, performance-enhancing drugs in his system and then had to confess that it was a drug he was taking to keep his hair from falling out. <laughs> uh, but it is used as a masking agent for um, steroids. So that was embarrassing for him. Uh, but unless it's that type of situation... Which, if you're on the Russian team with everything that's gone on, with the they aren't even allowed to compete under their own flag because they got booted from the Olympics. Like, why aren't you being smarter about this? Um, and did I think they did the curling team win or did he just get this person just get caught? Oh yeah, won the bronze medal. Yeah, they yeah. I'm looking at a photo of him. I can't pronounce his last name. Can you tell if he's losing his hair? Uh, well, no. Hmm. He's got a pretty solid head of hair. <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh, he and his wife won for mixed doubles curling. Oh. And, uh, yeah, he tested positive. Now an ad is popping up. Sorry, everyone who's listening. <laughs> this is, this is not great. Um, he tested positive for a banned substance that increases blood flow in athletes. He hasn't had the, his B sample tested, which would provi provide official confirmation of a violation, according to Reuters News Services. Um, Yeah. It's, it's just, why, yeah, I don't no. understand why do you need to take performance enhancing substances to curl? Yeah, I don't It know. seems like more of a game of skill than strength, I guess is what my, what I was inarticulately trying to say <laughs> earlier. Um, so anyway. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, I, I do have, I mean, there seems to be a lot of um, athletes from Russia performing under the Olympic flag at the Olympics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because my recollection, I think we talked about this in an earlier episode, is that, like, there were certain national federations where, like, the cheating was so systemic yeah. that they wouldn't let any of them compete. Mm -hmm. But then other um, other sports where they would let them compete, but it's as the Olympic athletes of Russia yes. not... or Yeah, I think yes. it's the Olympic mm -hmm. athletes of Russia. Yeah. Um, like, the little... The figure skaters, who, again, I... I I grew up in the time of Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan, Christy Yamaguchi. I love figure skating. Um, but those those women were phenomenal, and I, I'm assuming they're not taking performance-enhancing drugs, and it would be a real bummer for them if they weren't allowed to compete in the prime of their career because of... Because of boneheads who are in the, uh, like, bobsledders or whatever. Right. And you know what's weird with Russia, I guess weird is not the right word, but their men's hockey team, so a lot of their top athletes don't play in the NHL. The NHL um, determined not to go to the Olympics this mm -hmm. year. So the men's tournament hasn't been great. No, it's been terrible. I mean, it's been kind of exciting because you don't know who's going to win since <laughs> the NHL players aren't there and, like, the U.S. lost to Slovenia and got that crack kicked out of them by Russia earlier this week. But Russia, a lot of their best players play in the KHL, which is the Russian National League, um, and I guess they've shut down for the Olympics so that oh. their players can go. Oh. Um, and so, yeah, that's happening. So the Russian team may finally win the gold now that they have a... Their, their competition is They're like college players and people who play in like the minor leagues. Right, and some of them are like, like the U.S. captain is a guy named Brian Gianta. He used to play in the NHL, but he's old now. <laughs> um, so he's he might be playing in Europe. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's tough. I mean, I remember the first, 
at the first Olympic hockey I remember watching was in 1994 with Peter Forsberg and his crazy like wraparound shot on I think Corey Hirsch was the goaltender and Paul Correa was on the Canadian team and then mm-hmm. he became a mighty duck and it was just great and so <laughs> it would be fun if we could go back to that but it does seem like the Russians have an unfair advantage now yeah no yeah also there I think Ilya Kovalchuk who is the captain I think he's the captain of the Russian team a seems like a really terrible human being since he's super pro Vladimir Putin which, I mean, maybe you have to be if you're, like, a public figure in Russia. Yeah. I think he's hopefully maybe doing it for survival purposes. I think he and... said pretty terrible things about gay people. Yeah. And um, he... We could talk about this some other time. I realize I'm, like, carrying on now. But um, <laughs> he played for the New Jersey Devils. And the NHL collective bargaining agreement, like, if you pay attention to it, they basically, every round of negotiations... The owners negotiate in language that, like, is trying to save them from themselves. So, like, they'll put in a salary cap or they'll put in... There's a whole series of, um, like, a buyout structure because they were signing people to contracts that circumvented the salary cap. (laughs) And then they find new ways to get around it. Anyway, um, Ilya Kovalchuk was signed to, like, a 15-year contract that everybody knew he was never going to complete. Um, and then the devil's got in a bunch of trouble for what was obviously a oh, cap circumvention mm-hmm. situation. And then he quit and left to go play in Russia. So that's my, <laughs> that's my story. Also, I'm just going to say this. I think it's really shitty that the South Korean women's hockey team had yeah. to give up a couple of their spots to have folks from North Korea come and play with them. Mm-hmm. Not because I don't think it's a noble goal to show that type of unity, but like... Again, Why they didn't make the men? I, well, there might not be a South Korean men's hockey team, or maybe there were no North Korean players. But I think the women's hockey team is the only team where they actually had to remove South Korean athletes who've been planning to go to the Olympics in order to make room for North Korean athletes, and that just seems super unfair, particularly if it's only like aimed at the women's team, who may have still been terrible. They lost like eight nothing to maybe it was Russia. The South Korean Olympic men's hockey team includes seven Canadians, so they do have a men's hockey team. But yeah, again, going back to you train your whole life for this, or you train like a vast majority of your life for like this one moment, and just to have it like taken away from you because of some like overriding diplomatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, was that it for Olympic Roundup? I thought uh, we had one more. You had one more. Uh, the Slovenian snowboarder. Oh. Which is a preview of a future podcast. Right. So, um, we realized, we've been talking about this for a couple weeks, that we've been remiss in not discussing the rapper Meek Mill and how he ended up back in jail uh, for, I think, up to four years. Yeah. On what, frankly, appears to be a technicality. So, um, he's a famous... Philadelphia rapper, um, and probably should have talked about it in the context of the Super Bowl. But anyway, uh, we will be discussing in detail his case next week. Uh, But as a preview, this week there was a Slovenian snowboarder who... um, whose name I'm not even going to begin to try and pronounce, but he wrote on his snowboard, Free Meek Mill, um, while he was competing. And when asked about it, he said, basically, he was trying to take this as an opportunity to uh, make a statement about the flaws in the U.S. justice system. Um, and maybe he's a hip-hop fan. I don't know. But I think it's it's pretty great. So he got a lot of people asking him questions mm-hmm. and talking to him about it. And, um, yeah, that's... We'll hear more about the Meek Mill case in a future episode. But, uh. Yes, and I know that his name um, has come up more recently, of course, because of the Super Bowl. Yes, because the uh, Philadelphia Eagles walked out to um, one of his songs mm-hmm. and were also playing that in the locker room after they won. Yep. Um, so he said he Meek Mill issued a statement saying he wished he could have been out there with his brother celebrating the win. So... Um, but it's super messed up that he's in jail, and uh, look forward to sharing more <laughs> with you uh, about that case. Um, and finally, for our reality TV stoop, we have a true life mystery. Yeah, so <laughs> um, I, I watched, I think, maybe two seasons of The Bachelor, and it's just depressing to me, like, watching women fight over a shitty man. <laughs> so I don't watch it anymore, but... Fun story came out that there was a woman who had been reported as missing um, to the Humboldt County Sheriff's Department. Humboldt County is um, probably 
I think like the it's probably three or four hours north of San Francisco. It's kind of on the coast of northern, actual northern California. Yeah. Um, very well known for its marijuana industry. <laughs> um, a lot of folks have farms up there where they grow weed. And so Rebecca, a young woman by the name of Rebecca Martinez, apparently called her mom and said she was heading up there to work on a weed farm for a little while and that she'd give her a call in six to seven days. Well, she did not do that. And so her mother freaked out, sort of understandably, because they do want, I think there are, aside from the legal weed farms, yes. there's also um, farms that are financed by Mexican drug cartels. Um, and they've been known to like shoot people who walk on their land, even if they're just kind of wandering mm -hmm. around. Um, so her mom, having not heard from her, called the sheriff's department. She's listed as a missing person. Then she turns up on The Bachelor. <laughs> she is a contestant. Becca, who's 22 and is the only person on the show with short hair, yes. which like very, broke the internet. Very, very deep pixie haircut. <laughs> um, so anyway, it was like viewed as this big scandal that this girl told her parents she was missing when she was actually on a reality TV show. Becca has subsequently, spoiler alert, if you're watching The Bachelor um, and not caught up, she has been uh, removed. I don't know. I can't remember the word. Eliminated. Yes. <laughs> so she's not on the show anymore. Went on Jimmy Kimmel and explained the story that basically... It was after she'd been eliminated, so her parents knew she was on The Bachelor. Or, yeah, I guess you can tell. I don't know what their NDAs look like. I think you can tell people that you're appearing on the show, but you're not allowed to talk about what happens mm -hmm. or when you get kicked off. So she, after she'd been eliminated, then she told her parents, I'm going up into the mountains in Humboldt. For, to work on a pot, pot farm. Right. Um, but I'm, I'll be up there for like a week. I'll call you. She was in a place where she didn't have cell service. So Which she, is not like you might think yeah. that that's super insane. But in Humboldt County, and it's totally possible. Yes. Um, I've been, I, I, I go up south of Humboldt County, um, but still sort of rural. And um, yeah, my cell service is mm -hmm. abominable the whole time I'm up there. Anyway. So she was up there, didn't have phone service, didn't think too much about it. Um, got she decided she said she felt in her gut like she needed to call home, and so she drove to a place where she could get cell service. Called her mom, but by that time her mother had already reported her was missing to the sheriff's department, um, and so that was sort of much ado about nothing. She was actually fine the whole time. It was just she couldn't contact home. Yes, and it was only because of the timing of when you actually film the Bachelor versus right. when the Bachelor episodes air which is why there was that confusion of like, oh my God, she's a missing person. But oh, hey, wait a minute. She's, she's just, on she's on TV and that's not actually, in actuality what no. happened. And she also wanted to clarify that she is not a pot farmer. She is still a nanny in LA. She was just up there on vacation with her friends for a little while. So, oh, so she wasn't going to go work on a pot farm? I'm unclear. She may, because she works with small children, maybe she was trying to downplay that aspect oh, of the story when she was on late night TV, but... What else would you do up in the mountains? And I don't. You could go hiking, I kind guess. of. Maybe. I guess that's true. Yeah. Well, that's her. I think there there are redwood forests up there, so yeah, yeah. you could go mm -hmm. like camping. Um, well, anyway, that's Becca Martinez's story. <laughs> she's fine. She's not a missing person, and she didn't like. Yes, uh, she she didn't... wasn't trafficked to go on The Bachelor. No, and wasn't trying to conduct a, like a, I don't know, she wasn't hiding from her family yeah. either. They knew what was happening the whole time, so. Yes, much ado about nothing, as yeah. you said. Um, so that's it for us this week, um, and hopefully we will ba be back with you next week in a more consistent basis. Yes, it's been a, it's been a rough... <laughs> Beginning month or of the so year. with yeah. folks being out of town um but yeah in the meantime if you want to contact us you can always check out our twitter or instagram at ufr underscore bg it's our handle with both of those our website under further review dot bg.com or our email no i fucked that up oh, didn't i yeah <laughs> yes the website is under further review dash bg.com our email is under further review dot bg at gmail.com yes so thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Bye. Bye.